Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. This is episode 71 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. We are going to have a lot of fun today because we are going to look deep into the future. Not that deep, really. We're going to look to the 2024 NHL draft. However, that's going to be the primary focus of today's show. We're also going to get to your questions and talk a little bit about the 2023 NHL draft, college hockey college free agents. We got all sorts of different topics to hit today, but I did want to start with that 2024 draft because things are really starting to pick up. And we've talked all about Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli. Well, I've, I've talked about those guys enough. I want to start looking ahead to the future and we've got some really great candidates for the top of next year's draft that I wanted to get you familiarized with if you haven't yet already. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we do that, however, I wanted to let you know we're going to be recording on a different day. So the podcast is going to come out on a different day as well. You'll usually be able to get access to it on Wednesday nights or Thursday mornings on your app of choice or flowhockey.tv or YouTube. We're going to be available in a lot of different places. So make sure that you are never missing an episode by subscribing either to the Flow Hockey YouTube channel, to Flow Hockey itself, or to your app of choice and make sure that you hit that subscribe button and also leave a rating and review. It really does help a ton. I really appreciate reading them for one, but it also allows us to get to more people. So if you're a fan of the show, make sure you let your fellow hockey fans know, and we will be coming out on a more regular basis. The show is going to have a different look if you've been watching us on video as well, which I'm really excited about. And we will also get back to getting more guests in, but we have a lot of questions. I got a lot of great questions from listeners. So I wanted to stick with handing the show over to you in the second half. But before we get there, I want to talk about that 2024 NHL draft. I also want to talk a little bit about Devin Levi. If you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, you're not going to want to miss that. And just a little bit of, of, of things about kind of what's happening in the hockey world, including the 2024 World Junior uh, schedule is out. And so that's exciting. There's also a little bit of news in terms of Russia and Belarus and where they fit into the IIHF plan, if at all. But there was a little bit of news that came out about that when the schedule was released. So we're going to talk all about that. But as I mentioned, we're going to start first with the 2024 NHL draft. And I wanted to start at the top because I think right now it's too early to say for us who the number one pick with is going to be. We have an idea of who it could be, but there's a lot of really good players that are going to have a chance to grow. And there's a lot that can happen between that 17-year-old season and that 18-year-old season. Or, you know, a guy that's like a U-17 player like Macklin Celebrini or a guy that's a late 2005 like Artem Levshunov. You know, those are the different players that we 
are going to be talking about in the top of this. And, and a lot can happen. And that's why you don't want to say, well, this guy is for sure the number one. And especially in a class where I think there's just a lot of talent and nobody's necessarily separated from the pack. But we're starting to see it a little bit. We're starting to see certain guys step up. And I think that there are going to be a number of players that are especially exciting to watch in this upcoming, uh, that'll be going into next year for the draft. So if you are a fan of a team that is tanking this year, you're probably not going to be very good next year either. These are going to be some of the players that are going to be available to you then. So the first guy I want to talk about is a guy you can see every single game on Flow Hockey. He's a guy we told you about very early on this season in Macklin Celebrini. He's a 2006-4 native of Vancouver, currently playing for the Chicago Steel. And I wanted to take some time to do a little bit more of an in-depth breakdown. We've mentioned him on the show. We've talked a little bit about him. But I you know, I had a chance to see him live a couple of weeks ago. And I had a chance to see him live at the beginning of the season. We're starting to see that progression in his game. And that's why I'm starting to get a lot more comfortable with kind of projecting him out as one of the candidates to be the number one pick in 2024. So let's just give you the rundown of Macklin Celebrini really quickly in terms of what he has done this season. For the Chicago Steel... As we record this, this this week he was named the USHL Forward of the Week. He had a seven-point weekend, seven points over two games. He now leads the USHL with 28 goals and 54 points. He is on pace for 82 points this season. That would make him the highest-scoring 16-year-old in the history of the USHL in a single season. That's more than Andrei Svechnikov. It's more than Adam Fantilli, who we're talking a lot this about this year, more than Thomas Vanek. There's a lot of players that have played in this league at 16 years old, and Max Celebrini, as, as long as he stays healthy and continues on this pace, is going to be the highest scoring 16-year-old in the history of the USHL. Very difficult league to score in, very difficult league for a 16-year-old to play in, and Max Celebrini is obliterating the league this season at a level we haven't quite seen. Now, one guy that we have seen have a lot of production is Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes was a two-point-per-game player as a 16-year-old in the USHL. He played at the National Team Development Program, and he wasn't, you know, he didn't play a full season. He didn't play as many games as Macklin Celebrini, so his raw points weren't going to be as high, but his points-per-game average is pretty darn good, you know, two points a game. So Macklin Celebrini, not quite at that level. However, Based on everything I've seen, I have no problem saying that Max Celebrini is the best 16-year-old I've seen in the league since Jack Hughes and one of the best I've ever seen in the league. That's how good this young man is. Now, next year, he is slated to go to Boston University. So he is accelerating his schooling. He's going to enter Boston University as a 17-year-old. And, and you know, we think about some of the different guys that have gone into college. Jack Eichel went in as a late birth date. You know, uh, Kyle Connor went in after his draft. You know, guys that dominated the league. Max Celebrini's going in early. Zach Wierenski and Noah Hannafin have done that. Matthew Wood is doing that this season for UConn. It's very difficult for a 17-year-old to go into a league where there are guys that are 20, 25. So it'll be interesting to see that transition. But if we look at what Adam Fantilli is doing in at Michigan right now as a draft eligible, and we... I feel like that's exactly what we should be projecting for Max Celebrini. Celebrini has size. He's six foot two, uh, roughly. I mean, you know, he's he's growing. He's getting stronger. He's getting thicker. You know, he's he's getting much harder to knock off the puck. I watched him play against the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders, a team that will play you physical, that will play you hard. He had two points in that game, including a goal, and he just shrugged it all off. And that's for a 16 year old to see the confidence that he's playing with. That's probably the biggest difference from the beginning of the season to now 
he knows he can be a dominant player and he's simply doing it. That's the amazing thing. You don't see guys do that at 16 that just take over games and Max Celebrini can do that. I don't know if you had a chance to see, but if you go on any of the flow hockey platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you'll be able to see a goal that Celebrini scored this weekend, this last weekend against Omaha, where he basically went end-to-end, went around three guys, went around the goalie, and scored an easy one. And later in that game, he had an incredible assist where he kind of put the defenseman in a spin cycle, found Jaden Perron down low for the one-timer, and he was able to get that goal, and it was it was an incredible play. That's kind of every weekend now for Max Celebrini. That is what he does, and it's so fascinating to watch that maturation process and to, and to watch him go. And so for me, like I said, you have to be careful with projecting a 16-year-old. But if we look at what he's doing, you know, in his rookie season, having 54 points, Adam Fantilli had 36 points in 49 games in his rookie season. Um, he didn't really take off until the playoffs. And he, he was a goal-per-game player in the playoffs for the Chicago Steel as they won the Clark Cup. And now Celebrini in the same or a similar environment with good players surrounding him, guys like Perron uh, that that he's played on a line with, he's he's blowing away expectations for what's possible of a 16-year-old player in this league. And so assuming he stays on this trajectory, we're talking about a guy that that is really an exceptional talent. Um, and, And, you know, Celebrini could have gone to the WHL. He was drafted by the Seattle Thunderbirds. Seattle has maybe the biggest wagon going in junior hockey right now. They've got five first-round draft picks on their roster and a couple of guys that are could go in the first round in subsequent drafts. Imagine Macklin Celebrini in that situation. Man, I, you know, he'd probably be having uh, just a just not, not a Connor Bedard-like season, but he'd probably be pretty high up in the scoring race. Um, but he wanted to go the college route and he's going to go into a situation next year where he's going to be challenged. So fascinating to see about that. So I wanted to contextualize Celebrini a little bit more before we move on to our next player. And the reason, you know, we, we talk about looking forward and looking at the various drafts. So knowing that there's a lot of variables that can take place between now and the 2024 draft. I'm just saying like in this hypothetical where if he stays on the development track that he's on, if he stays healthy, if he continues basically doing what he's doing now in the USHL at the collegiate level next season, you know, if, if he were eligible for this draft and you take all of that information that I just kind of put out as the hypothetical, I would, I would put Celebrini number two behind Connor Bedard. And I am a huge believer in Adam Fantilli. I think he's an exceptional talent. He does a lot of things really well. I think, the trajectory that Macklin Celebrini is on right now is is better and is and will take him higher. So that's why at this very, very early stage, to me, he's the player that has the best chance to go number one next year. And again, you can watch him whenever you want on Flow Hockey. I'm not pumping his tires just because he's on Flow Hockey, uh, but you know, I've, I've watched this player and I continue to be blown away. And I think last weekend where he had that seven-point weekend, his second five-point game of his USHL career already, there's something special going on with that player. And we need to continue to, to put a focus on him and what he's doing because you just don't see it very often. So enjoy it while it lasts. All right. So there are a lot of other players. You know, I've had questions about the 2024 draft before that we've answered kind of in you know brief on this podcast which is why I wanted to spend more time this week. 
And the next guy that I wanted to cover is Cole Eiserman. Now, Cole Eiserman's playing at the National Team Development Program. He's actually teammates with Celebrini at Shattuck St. Mary's two years ago or last year, um, you know, at, at that vaunted program. Um, and Eiserman was the goal scorer. Celebrini was more of the playmaker. They both had just a, a monster amount of points, you know, were ahead of the pace of, of guys uh, that have gone through that Shattuck program, like Nathan McKinnon and others. Um, you know, not quite at the Crosby level. I think they were, you know, behind Sidney Crosby and in, in his historic numbers. But Cole Eiserman is a legitimate goal scorer. And right now, after this last weekend, the under-17 team of the National Team Development Program played overseas in a tournament, and Eiserman was a goal-scoring machine. He is now up to 40 goals this season for the NTDP. Based on, you know, he'll, he'll there's a good chance, I haven't confirmed it, but there's a good chance that he's going to get called up very soon to that under-18 team and play there and probably be playing in the under-18 World Championship. Um, and that is going to give him an opportunity to continue to just expand the notoriety and the exposure that he's gotten already. Iserman is committed to Minnesota. He is not expected to arrive at Minnesota until the season after next, so it is more likely he will play his draft season in the NTDP next year. Um, we're still waiting to see, you know, exactly how that's all going to move. But that, you know, as of right now, the way that Cole Iserman is scoring, he's currently on a goal-scoring pace that is comparable to that of Cole Caulfield in his under-17 season at the NTDP. And Caulfield now, of course, a member of the Montreal Canadiens and a Hobie Baker winner a couple of years ago with the University of Wisconsin. And Iserman is currently on pace to surpass Cole Caulfield's record of 54 goals as an under-17 player. Now, Caulfield had 72 goals the following season, and now all of a sudden you're saying, well, what is the bar for Cole Iserman? Now, the reason that I think a lot of people look at Iserman and say, hey, he's got a chance to be a number one pick is because of that goal-scoring tool. That said, when we've compared him you know, side-by-side side with Celebrini, um, and we've done it a lot because they played together at Shattuck St. Mary's, Iserman is, is, you know, in terms of his overall point production, he's a bit behind Celebrini. He doesn't necessarily have the size and he doesn't have the skating ability that Celebrini does. Those are the two, those are among the separating factors. He has tremendous goal scoring sense, tremendous offensive sense and an ability to make plays, but he's a goal scorer and he's a shooter. So if he does in fact score 54 or more goals this season, it is a really incredible number for any player at any point, but to do it in your U17 season is particularly special. And we haven't seen many guys that can do that. And then we, we obviously saw Cole Caulfield do that. And he's had, he, he, he's transitioned that into success at the NHL level. But, you know, I, I, Celebrini, you look at his point production in the USHL. Iserman has played, I think, 21 games in the USHL this year. Doesn't have the same level of points per game at that level as as Celebrini does. So that's where we're starting to see a little bit of separation. But but I would say that Cole Iserman is a unique talent. He can score a lot of goals and he can make a lot of plays. And he's done that throughout this season. Um, it'll be very interesting to see kind of how he progresses. You know, does he get any bigger? Can he get stronger? Does the skating improve? And all of those different things, if this, then that can happen and things can really shift in a draft season. So these next couple of years are critical for him. Keeping it in the USHL, I mean, if you are a fan of prospects and a fan of looking ahead into that crystal ball, what a year in the USHL this has been. Because they also have one of the very top defensemen of eligible for next season draft, and that's Artem Levshunov, who plays for the Green Bay Gamblers. And I saw him live as well, and I've watched him on video. And, um, you know, he is a tremendous talent. He's about six foot two, probably close, closer to six foot three. 
great skater. Um, he is a native of Belarus. So, uh, you know, interestingly enough, Belarusian players not allowed to play in the, the Canadian Hockey League, nor are Russian players, given the circumstances in Ukraine. Um, however, you know, I mean, Artem Lovshunov is a, what we entered the USHL as a 16-year-old kid. Doesn't have a whole lot to do with that. And I, I don't necessarily agree with, with what the CHL has done, barring those those teenagers from, from being uh, part of this. I know there's there's a lot of complicated factors that go into you know how Russian Russian and Belarusian players are viewed right now. But what I'll tell you about Artem Levshunov is is what I've seen in, in, from a hockey standpoint. This is an exceptional talent. This is a guy that you know playing at the same age as Owen Power did in his rookie season in the USHL. And Levshunov is is one of those guys that man, I, you watch him and he just screams NHL. You just see the size. You see the you know he can get physical. He defends extremely well. He skates well. He's got good offensive sense. He's on pace for one of the top scoring seasons. Uh, of a of a draft minus one defenseman um you know so i think that he's got a lot of the tools that teams are looking for the the other big thing is i just think he's a very intelligent hockey player he understands how to play within his 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 skill set he understands when he needs to push the pace offensively walks the blue line well uh exits the zone well gets pucks up ice extremely well um so he does a lot of really good things and so Levshinov is is one of those guys that, that I'm very excited to watch progress. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in terms of where he goes next season. Um, and that's going to be kind of interesting to watch is does he stay in the USHL, which will be possible for him? Does the CHL move things around and they allow players to come in? Very possible as well. Um, they have an import draft that you know they would work through. Um, we've also seen a lot of uh, Russian players, and and Bel- you know, Levshinov is Belarusian, so a little different. But you know, Andrei Svechnikov did the year his his fifteen or sixteen year old season in the USHL, moved on to the next level. There have been a few players that have done that and and have had great success with that. So it's it's certainly possible for Levshinov to do that. But I'm really excited to see him just continue to progress because what I've seen. You know, I saw Owen Power at the same age in the USHL, and I feel like I'm seeing a lot of similar things from Levshinov. And this is, <laughs> I mean, Owen Power went number one overall in his draft year. And we're looking at a player that is not, a, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he's very much in that in that discussion for next year's draft already. So pretty, pretty fascinating to watch. A couple other guys I want to touch on before we move on to other topics, but um, the the first is Aaron Kiviharu. You've probably heard his name a few times. He is a a, a Finnish phenom, uh, a, an undersized defenseman, but incredibly dynamic. Moves the puck extremely well. Good skater. He's played in uh, the Finnish Liga this year, and he's played you know basically bottom pairing, sometimes second pairing minutes in that league, and has held his own. Um, he recently played for Finland at the under 18 five nations, and they did very well at that tournament. And he's a big reason for that. He didn't play at the early season five nations with the U 18 team. So, uh, but, but then didn't end up making their world junior team, which was a bit of a surprise for a lot of us that, that he didn't play for Finland and, and the Finns, of course, uh, had an early exit. So I wonder if maybe he should have been there either way. That's a name to continue to watch. I think that, he, to me, right now, I'd have him behind Levshinov just because I think that Levshinov has a lot more projectable NHL tools. But Kibi Haru's offensive sense, his ability to move pucks, outstanding. Really outstanding. Um, also, 
another Russian player to talk about, Ivan Demidov, another late 05. He's currently dominating the MHL, which is Russia's U-20 league. 51 points in 38 games uh, for Scott St. Petersburg's uh, junior team. Done very well. He's got a really good shot, but he's much more of a, a crafty playmaker. He's got tremendous vision, dynamic hands. Um, I think he's going to be one of those players that, you know, people get really excited about coming out of Russia, um, even though, you know, a lot of us are saying, what are we going to do with these Russian players? We're just having that same discussion about Matthew Mitchkov. Where are things in a year? Do NHL teams stay away from players like that? Um, you know, I don't think Demidov is in that Mitchkov discussion um, in terms of the quality that he brings, but he is a guy that you should be aware of for the 2024 draft. And one other guy I did want to uh, point out to, um, and, and I'm going to, uh, one guy I did want to point out in addition is Zane Parekh, <clears throat> excuse me, Zane Parekh, who's playing for uh, Saginaw in the OHL. He has 18 goals this season as a 16-year-old. One more goal will match the high watermark of a U17 defenseman in OHL history. So, I mean, he's he's on the verge of making history here. I've watched a lot of video of him. I like the way that he moves. I think he's got good mobility, does have a good shot. I think that there are areas of his game that are going to have to round out. It's not just all about goal scoring. I'd like to see him move the puck a little bit better. But on the offensive blue line, he is a threat. And on that note, I wanted to quickly talk about a question that we got last week that I wasn't able to get to last week, but wanted to get to it now because I think it's an interesting thought process or thought exercise. And this one comes from Matt. And Matt asks, he said, it feels like the 2024 draft is becoming the year of the defenseman with Levshinov, Parekh, Kiviharyu at the forefront. Do you think teams will look at that going into 2023? So that's an interesting thought process because the 2023 draft, as we look at it now, not a very strong year for defensemen. However, I don't think teams are going to go out of their way to adjust their boards because they know that there's a better class of defensemen coming in 2024. I think at any any single draft, you don't operate on the thought of what's coming next year. You can't real there are so many things that you can't account for on draft day 2023 and then think about draft day 2024. You don't know where you're going to end up in the standings, you don't know what you're, you know, if what who you're going to sign in the offseason. There are too many variables. So I I don't think teams are going to have that in the back of their mind. It is an interesting thing to bring up. But I don't think teams are going to have that in the back of their mind because they know that it's all about the here and now. And they'll take the best player on the board regardless. They you know they won't structure their board any differently. You know, some teams might move guys here and there and say, hey, you know, maybe we can get a defenseman in the second round instead of, you know, trying to go for one here. You know, ebbs and flows of the draft can change. But I don't think they're going to be thinking about 2023. But you are right, Matt. This is a very strong draft for – um, for the uh, for, for defensemen, the 2024 draft is, whereas 2023 not looking as strong. So I do think that teams are at least going to, you know, acknowledge that and think about that, but I don't think it's going to affect how they do things on 2023. A good question, though, and, and certainly something interesting to think about. All right, as we, you know, th- there are a lot of other players, and, and believe me, I, I, I wanted to just spend some time on guys that I've either watched recently or had some other notes on, and, and you know, I've been watching more video of late as I prepare for, you know, for this podcast and also for other things that I'll be doing on flow hockey. But I mean, that, that 2024 class as exciting as the top four is this year. I do see a lot of, of, of things that I'm personally looking forward to watching in 2024. 
And, uh, you know, even 2025, we got guys like Michael Misa and James Higgins that were able to watch on a regular basis at a high level in junior hockey. Uh, I mean, the future of this game is just so remarkably bright. And it seems like every single year, the skill level just gets better and better. And we have these great players that are coming in the NHL as a result. So a lot of excitement there. All right. Up next, I wanted to talk a little bit because the news came out today in uh, January, uh, Wednesday, as we record this, that the schedule for the 2024 World Junior Championship is out. And that will be played in Gothenburg, Sweden, December 26th through January 5th. Um, really excited about that event, um, planning to go. And on top of that, though, you know, the interesting thing about the schedule, the way things set up, Canada is in a is in a group, and this is all based on how the end the end of the results from the last from the last uh, last World Juniors. Canada is in a group with Finland and Sweden. So Finland, playing Finland and Sweden um, in uh, in Gothenburg in Sweden. I mean, you know, it's going to be a hostile environment for that Canadian team, and I think that makes for a great tournament. You know, the Can- Canadians are going to have a really good roster. They're always one of the favorites. And they'll have to play against Finland and Sweden. But oddly enough, Sweden, which has a lot of control over the schedule, every single year, New Year's Eve is always that big Canadian game. It's usually against a rival. They tried to have it against the U.S. whenever possible. Well, those two teams are in separate brackets. And Sweden is the host, so they get to dictate a lot of the schedule. And Canada will be playing Germany on December 31st, so not a big-time rivalry game. Uh, and then it'll be Finland and Sweden in the marquee matchup of that game. The U.S. will also be playing Slovakia in the other bracket. So that's a bit of an interesting scheduling quirk. We won't get the big Canada New Year's Eve game that we've been so accustomed to and that is part of the tradition of this tournament. But that's the way it goes, and the host gets to make that rule. But the other reason I wanted to bring this up goes back to something that we talked about recently. Russia and Belarus are not allowed to play in international hockey because of what's going on in Ukraine, because of the invasion of Ukraine. And that is certainly a, um, you know, remains top of mind. But in the release that the IIHF sent out about this World Juniors is that the schedule is subject, subject to change if Russia and Belarus are reintegrated. If that does happen, And I don't think it's very likely because I don't know if you guys have been watching the news. Things aren't exactly getting better uh, in this this conflict in Ukraine. And there's a lot of, you know, the the thing about this is that the IIHF has certainly always had a a strong relationship with Russia. It is a massive moneymaker within the IIHF umbrella. Not having them is detrimental to the business of the IIHF. But... What's going on in Ukraine is obviously bigger than hockey. I don't think that any of the member organizations, not USA, not Canada, not Finland, certainly not Finland, certainly not Sweden, certainly not Czechia or Slovakia, would be on board with Russia and Belarus being allowed to re-enter at this point. Things can change. I think that's what the, the... IIHF is hoping is that things will change, but I don't see a scenario in which Belarus and Russia get reintegrated into the championship level this season. Could happen next year. I And I will tell you, as much as you want to believe and hope that the IIHF will continue to do right and not, you know, by the international sporting community, by not allowing Russia to, to or Belarus to compete due to the, due to what's going on, there is going to come a time where eventually that decision is going to be made and eventually they will be allowed back in. 
Um, and, and so that'll be interesting to see kind of how that process works. I just have a really hard time seeing it for 2024, but that the double IHF put that in their press release to just let everybody know, Hey, Russia and Belarus might get let back in. Um, that definitely wrote, raise some eyebrows, certainly mine. It's something that I'll be monitoring very closely as we move towards that 2024 World Juniors. Um, we're going to get to your questions in just a minute, but before we get there, I wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about college hockey, and we will have some college hockey questions in our Q&A session here in just a bit. But I wanted to pause for a second and talk about Devin Levi specifically. Talked about him before on this podcast. To me, he's the best goaltender in college hockey and has been for the last two seasons. Um, you know, I thought that he should have won the Hobie Baker last year. He did not. He did not even make the Hobie hat trick as one of the top three finalists. However, he then won the Richter Award as the top goalie in the uh, in in college hockey uh, last year. So we had a different Hobie Baker winner as a goalie, and a different Rick and the Richter Award winner was different. Now I was starting to think that Devin Levi didn't have a prayer at capturing the Hobie this year. He kind of had a bit of a lull in the middle of the season, started having, yeah, I actually wrote a story about Devin Levi talking about how he's, you know, continuing to separate from the pack. He had a really great start to the year. And I'm pretty sure I jinxed him because after that, every, you know, he had like five or six straight starts where he was just allowing a lot more goals than he normally would. That said, Northeastern's been pretty leaky this year. They're top 10 in the country in shots allowed per game, 33.2 shots allowed. Um, Levi has had a number of games where he's had to stop 35 or more shots this season. I think nine or so where he'd had to stop 35 or more shots in the, in a game. So that's games above the amount of shots they've, they've allowed of their average. And that is something that I think has to be taken into account. Now, Northeastern just won the bean pot. Do they win the bean pot without Devin Levi? They did last year. TJ Semptenfelter came in and Semptenfelter ended up transferring and is now at Arizona state, but he came in and won in the bean pot last year. But I, as I watched Northeastern this season, I just continue to see that Devin Levi is is something different. He is a goalie that can absolutely put a team on his back and give them an opportunity to win. And you look at that, the Buffalo Sabres have to just be thrilled with his development over these last couple of seasons. I don't think that they, they should mind too much that he's getting a lot of extra work at Northeastern where they are a little bit leaky and he has to be better. You know, It, it challenges a goaltender, and I think that he's taken on that challenge and he's run with it. The other thing about Levi is he's 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 below average size for a goaltender at the at least at the NHL level. That will continue to be a narrative around him, and I think it's 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 not insignificant. But I think what we've seen with him and what we've seen with guys like Dustin Wolf in the American Hockey League and guy and, and UC Saros, you know, undersized goalies, there are outliers, there are exceptions to the rule, and I do feel that Devin Levi is one of those exceptions to the rule. I think his competitiveness, his intelligence, his ability to make plays, um, you know, pre-shot reads and 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 really, you know, control rebounds, play extremely well down low and be just absolutely competitive and never give up on a puck. To me, he has all the traits of an NHL number one goalie except for size. And so everything else I've seen and all of the evidence that's compiling, this is a guy that's very special. He's now got a Beanpot trophy. He's got the Beanpot MVP. And all of a sudden, Northeastern is very much back in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. They're not there without Devin Levi. So if you are a Buffalo Sabres fan, I hope you're enjoying it because in his last nine games, Devin Levi has a 947 save percentage. And his save percentage over on over the entire season is over 930. So this is a very special hockey player and looking forward to seeing him as he progresses in his career. 
All right, you guys have waited long enough. I've rambled long enough. I want to now turn the show over to you so that you can let me ramble on what you want to hear about. And we are moving into our Q&A. And our first question, we're going to we're going to cover a lot of different ground here. We've got college, we've got recruiting, we've got uh, NHL draft, we've got it all. So we're going to try to get a lot of different things hit here. But let's start with Andreas here because he asks, hey, Chris, how does this year's pair of National Team Development Program top six centers Will Smith and Oliver Moore compared to last year's of Cooley and Nazar. How would you rank all four? Thanks. Great question, Andreas. It's a very tough one to answer because I think that they're all pretty different. You know, I think they all play the game uh, a bit differently and have different traits. Um, you know, with Logan Cooley and Frank Nazar, you've got two very dynamic, very quick players, guys that can make a lot of plays um, and, and play very well. With with Will Smith, you've got a more cerebral um, and 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 still also dynamic but very smart hockey player. And then Moore is one of the best skaters that you're going to see. So to answer your question specifically in terms of how I would rank them, I still think that Logan Cooley is an exceptional talent. I think he does all the things well that you need to do. I don't think the size is going to hold him back necessarily as a center because he's a competitor. He's tenacious. He's good off the puck. He still needs to do, he needs to clean up some of his puck decisions. No question about it. He tries to do too, too much sometimes, but I still have him as number one. I think that the speed factor that he brings, the skill level that he brings, the ability to play the game at pace, I think is a huge value add for any team. Right after him is Will Smith. I think Will Smith is the, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, I've compared him to Trevor Zegras. I think he's dynamic. I think he's highly skilled and he's also highly intelligent. Tremendous vision, makes plays all over the ice. I think he's continuing to get stronger. And as he does and improve the defensive elements of his game, it's only going to be better from there. The next guy I'd have on the list is Oliver Moore. So from this year's team, Oliver Moore. You look at his point totals, not very comparable to Will Smith, but that's what happens when you're the number two center. You're not going to have the better line mates. You're not going to have every advantage. You're not going to be on the first power play unit. Oliver Moore has to do a little bit more to get his points. So don't look at his production. Simply look at what he does on the ice. And it's just, he, he still produces. He's got skill. He can score. And he's one of the fastest players in every single game he plays, you know, if he's, if not the fastest, and that is really a separating factor. You know, a lot of American born players that are good two way centers that have, you know, defensive responsibility, but certainly some skill and also play with some pace. They get compared to Dylan Larkin. Oliver Moore is the first guy that's actually come along that I said, that kind of looks like Dylan Larkin, you know, the way that he plays. And, you know, certainly Dylan Larkin, an all-star, a guy that has been a number one center in the league, a captain of the Detroit Red Wings. I think Oliver Moore is in that kind of vein, um, and I think he's going to be a top 10 pick this year. And then after that, you've got Nazar, who who was injured for almost all of the season. He just came back last weekend, scored in his second game. He's dynamic. You know, He's a bit undersized, but he's a Chicago Blackhawks draft pick, and he's a guy that I think will continue to ascend. He's got all sorts of good tools. He's very confident. I think more development time is going to do him some good. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table. But that is a guy where, you know, I, I have him fourth on that list. But, I mean, we're talking about four really good players. Um, and that's kind of how I would break that one down. So thanks, Andreas, for that question uh, as we move on. But we're also going to get a little bit more Will Smith talk here because Bert asks us, he would love to hear some more talk about the U.S. NTDP line of, of Boston College commits. What are the reasons most scouts' rankings have uh, Gabe Perot much lower than Will Smith or Ryan Leonard? Bonus question, who are Chris's top five draft-eligible prospects in the USHL? For that last part, 
I'm going to have to leave you with a cliffhanger because my draft rankings will be coming out and there will be at least five USHL players on that top 50. There's probably going to be more uh, the way things are going this year. There are a lot of really interesting and intriguing prospects. But to get back to the initial part of the question, which is about the NTDP's top line of Will Smith, Gabe Perot, and Ryan Leonard, probably the best line in junior hockey. Perot is near two points per game. Um, you've got uh, Will Smith at like 1.9 points per game. And then Ryan Leonard had a sensational Five Nations uh, just a couple weeks ago, or last week. Um, and that was a great last impression. I believe he ended up with two hat tricks in that event and, you know, just really started to, to, to put things together. They're all different, which is really fascinating. You've got, you know, the brawn of the line is Leonard, who's five foot 11, but burly and very difficult to knock off the puck. He's got a tremendous shot. He gets to the middle. Well, you've got a little bit more of a lanky, speedy Will Smith who who plays the game at his pace and kind of dictates the pace and does whatever he wants. He's going to have the puck a lot. Um, and then you've got Gabe Perot, who is a bit of kind of like he's he, he he's one of the smartest players in this draft. No question about it. His hockey sense is off the charts. His vision is exceptional. He makes a lot of plays. He's been scoring a lot of goals lately. Um, and... So, you know, when you look at this and you look at a lot of the draft rankings and, you know, my, I don't want to give mine away yet, but you know, when you look at those draft rankings and you say, wow, Gabe Perot seems to be a lot further down than Will Smith and Ryan Leonard a lot. And he's the highest scorer of those guys. Um, and, and as Bert mentioned, they're all committed to Boston College. So they're going to stay together next year. So the best line in junior hockey is moving to BC next season. But when it comes to Gabe Perot, I think part of the reason that scouts have not been as high on him, and certainly one of the reasons that I I have the other two a little bit ahead of him is, you know, I think that a lot of his game can still be a little perimeter at times. Um, he's doing a better job of getting to the interior. Uh, he is not of those three guys. He's probably the weakest skater. Um, the foot speed is it has definitely improved. I've seen improvement in his skating this season. I don't think it's something that's going to hold him back. That's why I still believe that he is a, a clear-cut first-round draft prospect. You know, he doesn't have the size. Sometimes the compete can go a little bit in and out, but I think we've seen this year that he's been a lot more consistent in a lot of different areas of his game. So I do think he will eventually you know, kind of move into a, a little bit of a higher tier than he is right now among fellow draft eligibles. But I still think he'll likely on most lists be behind Smith, who is in, in dynamic, is the center, has a lot more, uh, you know, puck driving capabilities. And then you've got Leonard, who's more of a defined goal scorer, who has some ruggedness to his game, not very easy to push around. Skating is good enough. You know, so those... That's where I see some of the disconnect there. All three of them are exceptional players. Boston College is getting a tremendous group. And if they keep them together, you could very well see that line at the World Juniors next year. Um, but it's been fascinating to watch. I'm actually going to go check them out live next week. Um, so I'll be able to see them and see kind of where we're at with that group. But what a tremendous uh, trio of prospects that that is. And uh, they're all on the same team, so it's very easy to, to watch them. All right, we're going to bounce back to the uh, 2024 and 2025 draft eligibles here with this next question as it comes from Jake. And Jake asks, besides Cole Eiserman and James Hagens, who else off that 06 NTDP team have you enjoyed this year? 
really good team. Uh, it's the it, they're the national under seventeen team. They just played internationally. I watched some of their games uh, that they played over in Switzerland, knowing that we were going to be talking about twenty twenty four this week. You know, I think one of the guys that has really stood out to me, and every time I've watched him, um, it'll be interesting to see what it does for his draft stock. Is is Cole Hudson? Now Hudson is the younger brother of Lane Hudson, who is currently having one of the best freshman seasons in recent memory uh, for a defenseman. Uh, Lane famously five foot eight, you know, about 150 pounds. It feels like, or seems like, um, you know, and, and not big, but incredibly dynamic. Cole has a lot of similarities to Lane. They play very similarly. They're similar in stature. Cole's a little bit bigger than Lane was at the same age. So that's good for him. Um, but he's able to walk the blue line extremely well. He gets pucks out of trouble. He's got, you know, some, some dynamic edge work that he does to be deceptive with his skating. Um, he moves pucks well. He's got vision. He gets pucks down low when he's in the offensive zone, which is something that Lane does exceptionally well for a defenseman. Um, so I think that those are, are guys that, um, you know, Cole Hudson has been a guy that has, has routinely stood out. Uh, Will Scahan, who's a big, burly defenseman, you know, he's he's got a lot of pro projectable tools. He's been uh, a lot of fun to watch. And then one other guy that I think has been kind of, uh, an unsung hero for that team and has kind of flown below the radar a little bit among his more highly productive teammates is Christian Humphreys, who is a Michigan State commit. Um, you know, he's kind of on the a little bit further down their lineup, but it seems like he comes up with big goals often. Um, and so a huge coup for Michigan State to land that player as a commit. But yeah, I mean, you know, Iserman and Hagens are definitely the show. I think they're the two most likely to be recalled to the under-18 team to play for the under-18 World Championship. Um, maybe we'll see one or two of the defensemen from the NTDP team as well uh, have a chance to move up. Uh, Skahan probably more likely than Hudson uh, just for the size factor. But, I mean, a lot of different variables there. So uh, we'll have to watch that, that, that U-17 team. But to answer Jake's question, you know, I think that the guys that I just mentioned were uh, are guys that stand out, and I think there's a lot of story left to be written about that U17 team that's had a lot of success this season. All right, our next question uh, comes from, uh, I believe we got Kenneth here. Uh, Kenneth asks, what is your opinion on Shane Wright in his seven games so far with Windsor? Uh, so we got this question last week. So uh, Shane Wright, um, you know, this is a little slightly outdated, but either way, you know what I think we've seen from Shane Wright? We've seen a guy that's where he's supposed to be. I think he's played well enough. He's produced. He's had a chance to get good puck touches. You know, he's playing on a, a very competitive team in Windsor. Um, I haven't watched a ton of his games yet, but the clips that I've been able to watch of him just suggests to me that he's in the right place. I think there's more development time needed for him. I think he's got to get this, you know, this season is going to be very, very important for him. Um, but that's the one where, you know, I think he's he's got a little bit more to do um, to, to kind of become that NHL player. I'm not worried about him. I, I, you know, I think he's going to be an NHL player. I just think that, you know, the upside that we believed was there for a long period of time and the reason that he fell out of the top, you know, into the fourth overall pick instead of being first. And this is a great reminder, as we talked about 2024, there wasn't a person on earth that would have told you Shane Wright was going any lower than first in the in the beginning of his draft season. He ends up going fourth. It's just the way this thing works out. Development is not exactly a straight line. Um, but I think he's he's progressing. 
you know, he's going to progress here. And I, I, I thought from the beginning that Seattle should have put him in junior. I didn't think he was ready for the NHL. I think that the results kind of bore that out. We got to see him at the AHL level where he did very, very well. I thought he did better even than expected there. Had a, had a World Juniors where he was kind of in and out, you know, where you would notice him sometimes. He scored a big goal in the gold medal game. But this is a player that still needs to develop, and he's in a good spot. And I think that the Kraken are going to be happy with, with the results they're getting by sending him to Windsor. All right, our next question comes to one of my favorites on on uh, on this podcast. It's uh, it's my guy, Big Tortilla. And he asks, Chris, this is for the podcast. You have defenseman Cameron Allen ranked 13th overall. I've seen others have Mikhail Gulayev ranked higher. I believe you have him ranked 20th. What is it about Allen's game that you like over Mikhail? Thank you. Well, I haven't had an updated draft rankings since November, so that's a little bit outdated. Cam Allen has been one of the guys that has kind of slipped further than a lot of us expected him to. Probably not going to be a first-round draft pick this year. Um, you know, last year as a rookie, he looked like he was on on track and on trend to be a really solid player and and a big-time player for this draft. Um, but I think that you know, right now. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of fallen. Gulayev is a really interesting player. I think Gulayev is actually more the player that I thought Cam Allen was going to be. Uh, Gulayev is a dynamic skater. He's got good, good offensive sense. What the question about him right now is where does he end up in the draft? Does he go in the first round? Are teams scared because, you know, you you have some nerves about trying to acquire a Russian player. You know, there are plenty of Russian players in the league right now. So I think most teams are willing to take on the risk if they feel the player is good enough. I think there are going to be some teams out there that view Gulayev as a, as a dynamic offensive presence. Um, you know, a lot of teams were not shy about, you know, last year the Ducks were not shy about picking Pavel Mintukov. He was playing in North America, so it's not a really apples-to-apples apples comparison. But I do think that there are going to be teams that are going to find Gulayev in that mid-first-round range and like him there quite a bit. All right, we're going to move on to our next question. This comes from our pals at the Centennial Podcast. And they ask, what are your thoughts on Senators prospect Stephen Halliday looks to be having a good college season so far? You know, Stephen Halliday is actually having a great college season, you know, and I think it's not anything that's unsurprising. Um, he was a guy that entered the USHL with a lot of fanfare. Then he ended up staying there for four years. Usually the guys that get a lot of fanfare, it's two years, and then they're on to the next thing. Uh, Halliday made some changes in, you know, where he was going to go to school, um, ends up at Ohio State, and he has had a very strong freshman season this year. Uh, and he's, in fact, he's been he's been one of the better freshmen in the country so far. He's got 31 points in 30 games, seven goals, 24 assists for the Buckeyes. And I have watched the Buckeyes a few times this season. I think the thing with Halliday is no one has ever doubted his ability to produce, his ability to play. He's, he's a highly intelligent player. The question is, is does he have the feet to do it at the NHL level? That is going to be the thing he has to continually prove. Now, I think that you're going to get some free years of development with him at Ohio State, which is a team that's in the hunt for the for an NCAA tournament berth. He's a big part of that. He's in a really good spot. He took all that extra time in the USHL, became the all-time leading scorer in the history of the Dubuque Fighting Saints franchise, and now he's at this opportunity where he is continuing to progress. It doesn't mean that he's a surefire NHLer. But it does mean that he's continuing to put the work in and he's put it, pushing himself towards that possibility. So I think Stephen Halliday's had a good season and is a guy that, that will be worth watching for some time. 
All right. Our next one comes from Jackson, I believe here. Um, or excuse me. No, I think the next one we have comes from our giant lady squirrels. I don't know if that's your real name, but if it is, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get to the bottom of that. Let's talk about Eric Portillo here. Here's the question. What organizations would be a good match for Eric Portillo? Is there any benefit in trading the rights of a soon to be free agent goalie when the team, when teams can't really dangle the carrot of a spring NHL debut upon leaving college, like they can for skaters. That's a really good point. Um, and you know, in a lot of situations, teams will have that roster spot to be able to sign a player. And that gives them an opportunity to, you know, to get players signed. Uh, we saw it last year with Jack McBain got traded from Minnesota. He was not going to sign with the wild got traded from Minnesota to Arizona. Arizona was able to offer him an opportunity to play right away. He signs uh, Nathan Smith, same thing. Did, wasn't going to sign with the Winnipeg jets rights traded to Arizona. He signs, they give him an opportunity. So I think that if you're a team that's in a rebuilding phase, then you are, you might say, Hey, we can do a deal with the Sabres. We're going to make it a highly, you know, conditional picks are going to be there and we'll see what we can get. Um, Buffalo did this with Jimmy VC a few years ago where they acquired his rights for a conditional draft pick and VC decided, no, I've made it this far. I'm going the free agent route. Portillo is interesting because what is he worth to a team? That's the, the team that says, I think if you're a team that has multiple third and fourth round draft picks, you've got to consider potentially making a deal with Buffalo to get his rights. Because I do think that Portillo is the equivalent of a draft pick in that range. He's big. He's athletic. He's had success at the collegiate level. We just don't expect him to sign with Buffalo. And the Sabres would probably do well to, to get some asset for him. Um, but, you know, like, as you mentioned, it's harder for teams to find a spot for a goalie. So there might not be that situation where you can burn the year off of the, uh, off of the podcast. So, or you're off of the contract. Um, so we've got that as well, but I think, you know, I think for, for where we're at with, um, with this particular player, it would be a very risky trade to make, but if you are a team that has multiple mid round picks and you can apply conditions to those pick, like if he doesn't sign that third becomes a seventh or something like that, then it's worth checking out. And it's got to be a place where they don't have great goaltending depth as well. Um, all right. I'm going to move on to our next question. And this one comes to us from, uh, sorry, from Jackson. So we did, we are getting to Jackson here. Jackson asks thoughts on TJ Hughes as a fan, as a Michigan fan, I think he's pretty underrated. I don't think you're wrong, Jackson. I think he is underrated. He's kind of flown under the radar because he's playing with such great freshmen. Uh, and he's got, you know, Luke Hughes is a star upperclassman. You got all these other guys on this roster and TJ Hughes is kind of settled in as an undrafted player that's, you know, maybe not getting as much uh, notoriety as some of those other guys. But taking a look at Michigan stats this season, TJ Hughes is a top four scorer for that team. He's got 29 points in 28 games. Um, you know, he played for that Brooks Bandits team last year that had such exceptional success at the uh, the Alberta Junior League level. Um, both TJ Hughes and Ryan McAllister have been two of the top freshman scorers. Now they're older freshmen as well. You know, Hughes is um, not a true freshman. He's a 2001 birth year. So he's older than your average freshman. 
Um, but that has allowed him to make an immediate impact at the collegiate level, you know, playing a lot of minutes for Michigan. Um, and I agree. I think he's underrated. What I also think is NHL teams are taking notice of what he's doing at Michigan. I think they were a little hesitant to buy into what he was doing at the AJHL level and saying, wow, he's, he's, you know, he's an older junior player. He's having a lot of points. Now he's proving it at the college level, and that is going to bring a lot of interest from teams looking at him as a college free agent. So don't be surprised if there are some offers out there for TJ Hughes at the end of this season, um, and he could be tempted to be a one-and-done player. Now, if I'm TJ Hughes, I might decide to come back for another year, be more of the guy at Michigan, you know, see who else is, is leaving, and then make a decision that way. But as a free agent, he's going to have his pick of teams, and I'm sure there are going to be a few teams that are going to try to toss him a contract as soon as this spring. All right, we have one more question, and it is college hockey related. And it is timely because uh, we'll I'll explain after I throw this question up. This one comes to us from Jeremy, and he asks, which 0.6 second game was more fun and more shocking, Minnesota, North Dakota at the 2014 Frozen Four or Saturday's University of uh, Michigan game winner over Michigan State in Detroit? Well, I will always, it's a great question, because if you didn't see, Luke Hughes scored a buzzer-beating goal in overtime for the University of Michigan over Michigan State at Little Caesars Arena in front of a record crowd to win uh, the Iron D, which is the, uh, the, the, the duel in the D trophy, um, and Luke Hughes, you know, th this thing was about to go to a shootout and Luke Hughes manages to score as time expired and you don't get a ton of buzzer beating goals, but as, as Jeremy mentions, this was 0.6 seconds. And you'll may recall back in 2014, Justin Hole scoring with 0.6 seconds remaining on the clock to, to eliminate North Dakota. That was to me, the bigger and the more shocking and the most incredible thing um, I think 0.6 is just a number that is now synonymous with Minnesota. You see some fans even have in their in their profile pictures the 0.6 still from that because it was, a again, these are two great rivalries that we're talking about, Michigan-Michigan State. But I think that Minnesota-North Dakota game, those were very evenly matched teams. Those were, it was, the stage could not have been bigger. Oh, just a fascinating thing to, uh, to watch. And uh, boy, it makes college hockey great, doesn't it? what we, what we saw in these two things. So really fun to see, but you know, we've talked a lot. I've talked a lot next week. Hopefully we'll talk different, you know, get some, some other people and some other voices in here. Uh, but as I mentioned, don't forget new nights, you'll be able to get this podcast Wednesday nights and Thursday mornings um, on your app of choice. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Subscribe. If you never want to miss an episode, make sure to hit us up on YouTube and on flowhockey.tv. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Flow Hockey. Lots of great hockey action. We've got the CCHA, Atlantic Hockey, and CHA tournaments coming up exclusively on Flow Hockey. Be able to watch all those actions with auto bids on the line to the NCAA tournament. As always, ECHL and USHL also available. And with your Flow Sport, Flow Hockey subscription, you get access to everything like Flow Wrestling, Flow, Flow Wrestling, all the other great sports, tons of great college sports on the platform. So make sure you get that subscription as soon as possible. I want to say thank you to everybody that tuned in today. Thanks to everybody for all the questions. My thanks to Nico for producing today as well. So I hope you guys enjoy the new look of the podcast. I hope you like the new time. And hopefully in the very near future, some new segments that we're going to roll out and lots more guests. So plenty more to come right here on Talking Hockey Sense. But for now, that's going to do it. Thanks again for joining me. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll see you next time.